Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing chest X-ray interpretation. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. All um, guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Jamie here, Teacher Fellow in Emergency Medicine. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Harry Pick, who's a uh, Respiratory Medicine Registrar and uh, Research Fellow. Hello, Harry. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you for coming along. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, chest X-ray interpretation, a very important skill in uh, most aspects of medicine, particularly the emergency department, and um, in uh, Anionovsky exams as well. Yes. Um, so we're just going to go through a format and approach of, of how to interpret chest x-rays, Harry. Yeah, so um, this is what I was taught uh, when I was back at Nottingham Med School. Uh, it's what I've taught to other med students and it follows the curriculum for the med student guys. Um, but it's applicable over all grades and all, all, all uh, aspects of looking at chest x-rays, really. Um, so the thing that's most important to me, the thing that we see most frequently in the med students or the junior doctors is... Uh, not having a structured approach uh, and looking at an x-ray and diving in with the first thing but missing mm. other pathology. Mm. Um, so I'd say the most important thing for me is having a structure that you follow every time mm. and practice, just practicing those over and over again. Mm. Um, so basically I'll outline that, uh, go through how I approach it, what I would suggest and then it's just about practicing really. Yeah. How many chest x-rays do you think you see on an average day? Uh, so we were talking about this as part of the SCAPA study. Um, as a team we look at about 22,000 x-rays a year between the four of us um, wow. and we're on for uh, well, obviously half of the year because we cover both sides, mm. so it's probably around yeah four or five hundred a week. Yeah, when, when so it's useful to have an approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, definitely, it definitely helps us. Um, so uh, the way I approach it is um, have you have you film up on uh, on the screen and then start yourself off. Give yourself some thinking time is to look at the demographics. So mm. especially if you're trying to describe it to somebody, it gives you thirty seconds just to actually have a quick scout around the X-ray. So. Talk about the patient's name, how old they are, mm-hmm. the date that the x-ray was acquired on, whether it's an AP or a PA film. Look at whether there's any labels uh, uh, on there saying left or right side of markers. Sure. Um, it's good practice. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you're not looking at the wrong x-ray, either for the wrong patient or on mm-hmm. the wrong date. Because um, mm-hmm. I've seen that a few times. But it also gives you 10 seconds if you're with a mm-hmm. consultant someone's asking about it just to settle your nerves and, and get stuff in. I think for all tests as well, um, ECGs, ABGs, anything, I always say to my students, right patient, right day, right time, you know, make sure it's always right. And we've all been there, you know, you're in a rush, it's yeah. the middle of the night, you're trying to interpret an x-ray that isn't necessarily the right person's, and then, then the consequences that might have, you know, we've all made mistakes, but having that as part of your sure. approach every time just helps with that. Awesome. And then I suppose with an x-ray, uh, the next thing to move on to is the technical factors. Um, so before you assess any pathology on there, assessing is this x-ray going to answer the question I wanted to answer? Is it the right type of x-ray? Is it the right approach? Um, so the first thing we look at is projection. Um, so that's the way in which the x-ray has been uh, obtained, uh, whether it's anterior, posterior, or posterior, anterior. Um, and I'm sure as you know, Jamie, but the reason that's important is um, the cardiac shadow and some of the structures you want to look at can appear different, whether you've had it taken from front to back or back to front. Um, so the analogy I use is if you get a lamp and you shine it against a wall, if you put your hand close to the lamp, it's going to cast a big shadow. Mm. If you put your hand further away from the lamp, it casts a smaller shadow on the wall. Sure. And so anterior posterior is like you've got the lamp and the hand uh, next to the shadow. You know, it's an anterior structure within the mediastinum, the heart is. If you've got the lamp shining onto the wall, it's a big shadow, and therefore it's more interpreted different uh, to, to interpret. Uh, whereas if you've got the lamp behind you, uh, and you put your hand closer to the wall, it's a smaller shadow, you can accurately assess the cardiothoracic ratio, amongst other things. 
Um, so once you're happy with the projection, you've described it, um, move on to rotation. Mm. Uh, so rotation is um, the, the relationship between the medial end of each clavicle and the spinous process uh, of the vertebrae. And what you want is to see that they're uh, equidistant between the two. Uh, and if it's slightly out of kilter, so one gap is larger than the other, that would suggest rotation. Mm. And rotation then affects how you're looking at the mediastinum and the other structures. And colon also affects how radio-opaque or radio-elucent the lung fields appear as well. Uh, and the next thing that I would look at would be inspiratory efforts. Um, mm. So whether the patient in front of the x-ray has taken a large enough breath uh, to be able to see all the lung fields, because primarily the x-ray is there to look at lung fields, amongst other things. Uh, and so what you're looking is for greater than seven anterior or nine posterior ribs. Sure. And it's just easy to count down and see whether they've taken an adequate or inadequate uh, inspiratory efforts. Uh, and then the next thing would be field of view. Um, so does the x-ray contain everything that I need to see within the x-ray? Mm. Um, so looking uh, inferiorly to make sure it catches the diaphragm and below, preferably a couple of centimetres, uh, both uh, laterally, both sides, to make sure you've got the rib cage, the soft tissues, and a bit of air around the patients. And then uh, superiorly, probably uh, above the level of the apices for sure, sure. Uh, with some air and probably capturing a bit of the neck. Mm. Often they capture a small amount of the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, sc uh, the skull as well. That's yeah. not a problem. Um, but making sure that's adequate. If it's not adequate, you can still interpret the x-ray, but with the caveat that you can't see all you want to see. Sure. And then less of an issue now that we're uh, you know, all technology up, we're not putting them up on uh, light boxes, but uh, making sure the penetration is adequate for the x-ray. Mm. Um, so that can be changed on the, uh, the computers we have now, so you can alter the penetration. But what you're looking for is to be able to see the vertebral bodies mm. through the mediastinum and through the heart shadow. Make sure you can distinguish those. Um, but you can play with the settings. And you can Absolutely. Sort that out most yeah. of the time. Um, so once you've gone through and you've got yourself, you know it's the right patient, right time, you're happy with the technical factors, the next thing is actually to move on to interpret the chest x-ray. Okay. Um, I don't know what your approach is, Jamie. Um, now with time, I still go through this every single time because you know, if you spot one thing, you concentrate on it, you can miss other stuff. So what I do is uh, soft tissues first. Yeah. Um, so I'd start superiorly, work inferiorly, and I'd start with the soft tissues within the thoracic cage, say the mediastinum, mm. looking to see whether there's any widening, whether it looks normal or abnormal to me. Uh, what the relationship is into other structures, uh, but also if there's any air within there, which can be very difficult to spot. Um, I then look at the hilum at this point as I'm moving down, uh, make sure they're about an equal size, relatively equal height, although the right is slightly higher than the left in normality. Uh, and then I'd move down to the, the heart, looking at the cardiac borders, the relationship of the heart to the mediastinum and the other structures, uh, and also if it's the right type of film, so a PA measuring the cardiothoracic ratio. Um, so the cardiothoracic ratio is uh, the width of the heart by the width of the uh, thorax. Mm. And less than 50% is normal. More than 50% can be a sign of cardiomegaly and sure. the associated conditions that come with that. And then finally, I look at the extrathoracic soft tissue. Um, so working my way around the soft tissues around the, the chest wall itself, mm. looking for any um, surgical emphysema, any abnormal um, drains or lines. Uh, but also looking at the pleura, looking at the pleural thickness. It's a good time to catch that something's often missed. Mm. So as you're tracing your way around, trying to have a look at the pleura and see, is there any effusion? Is there anything thickening? Does it look abnormal? That, again, can be quite hard to pick up. Uh, and then it's uh, onto the money, really, the, the airways <laughs> as a respiratory physician. Um, and the airways and the parenchyma is where it is. So um, start off with the large airways, uh, in, uh, superiorly again, and looking at the trachea, relationship with the trachea to other structures, whether it's pushed or pulled one way or the other, whether there's any rotation. Moving down to the carina, making sure it bifurcates well, and you can still see 
the large airways, middle airways there, and then onto the lung fields, looking at the small airways, the lung fields, the alveolar and interstitial patterns, making sure there's lung markings going all the way to the periphery, mm. making sure it looks vaguely symmetrical, and there's no obvious pathology within there. Uh, and then uh, once you've covered most of that, you need to sort of think about your review areas. And the review areas are really the areas where people miss things or they're less conspicuous when you first glance at an x-ray. Um, and so there's a mnemonic for that, I'm sure you know. Uh, so it's A, B, C, D, E. Uh, we like nice, simple things in medicine, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. Um, so A stands for APCs. Uh, it's really good to have a really clear look at the APCs. Um, you can miss lots of pathology up there. Um, the first rib that comes around can often uh, hide or mask pathology up there. Uh, but also the, the angle and uh, the acquisition of the x-ray can make it more difficult to see mm -hmm. that space. And the things you'll see at the APCs might be some previous granulation from old TB, a small pneumothorax, uh, maybe a bit of consolidation that you wouldn't have picked up if you didn't look. Uh, B is uh, look behind the heart. Um, so this is the bit I probably find the hardest even still now is the heart shadow does cast quite a big shadow and it can often be difficult to see what's going on behind mm. there. So taking in your time to have a really good look, see whether there's anything that sticks out, any masses, any consolidation behind there is important. Uh, and then C is cardiophrenic and costophrenic angles. So looking at the diaphragm, looking to see in those recesses whether there is any blunting consolidation, not just as crisp or clear as you'd normally expect. Uh, D is diaphragm, so uh, look at both above below. Is there any air under the diaphragm, any uh, pathology down there? But also the diaphragm is roughly equal height. The right mm. will usually be higher because of the liver pushing it up, um, but just you know, roughly higher have they been raised. And then E is the very useful everything else. <laughs> if in doubt, <laughs> if everything in doubt. else, yeah. Uh, and really within everything else, for me, it's looking at the skeleton. Mm. Um, so looking at the ribs, are there any... Uh, signs of uh, metastases, any yeah. uh, sclerotic lesions, uh, is there any signs of old breaks or surgery, uh, and then also the clavicles, uh, head of humerus, the parts that you can see, just having a really good look at those to not miss anything. Uh, looking for foreign bodies, um, so have they uh, got a line in, are they tubes from uh, you know, ICU stay, uh, is there a chest drain in somewhere again, looking for a pacemaker, yeah. and where the relationship those are, uh, and then uh, once more just having a quick look through it. Um, and then it's pulling it all together at the end mm. of when you've done that mm. um, and then sort of communicating your findings across to either yourself to help you interpret it or then to whoever else is around and watching you. And I would emphasise that everything else as well because in, I, you've probably got stories like this as well. Day-to-day -day in A&E, I've seen chest x-rays being done for one thing, usually shortness of breath. Uh, but all manner of things that you would not do a chest x-ray for being found. So um, surgical emphysema in the neck, that was um, bore half syndrome. Yeah. Um, I've seen um, humerus fractures that were otherwise yeah. missed, clav uh, clavicular fractures no one had thought about, picked up on a, on yeah. a chest x-ray. I'm sure you've seen similar. Yeah. Uh, that importance of, of everything else. Yeah. It's not missing those simple things. Definitely. Being uh, focused in on them, only here looking at the lungs. And it's very easy to do. It's a, it's a bit like you know looking at blood results and you're really focusing on the UNEs, but mm. actually you miss something else in the LFTs. You know, so it's that whole just take your time, sit mm. back, have a look at it, and make sure you cover everything. Because mm. one of the most frustrating things or most embarrassing thing is when someone comes up with you two or three days later and points out something you've missed. And yeah, you feel like a bit of a pillock. We need to go back with the retrospective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's easy in the time, isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, and I suppose um, you know once you see a pathology or if there's something strikingly obvious it's quite hard to then concentrate on looking for everything mm. else. 
Mm. Uh, but classic examples are, you know, the patient who's got um, a pneumonia at the base of one lung, but they've actually got quite a large pneumothorax on the other side. Mm. And they've either spotted the pneumonia and not the pneumothorax or the other way around. And, and then, you know, the implications for management that come with that as well. Mm. Um, so it's important to a consistent approach for that. Um, and then I suppose there's, there's particular things like you talked about with shortness of breath and, and aiming for um, different diagnoses that you, you know, mm. things you'd expect to see. So, uh, I mean, as a respiratory physician, uh, a guy who's looking at pneumonia pretty <laughs> clearly, we probably should start there. So, um, the, the common findings with pneumonia is, you know, you, you generally will have maybe some of their comorbidities. So, you might see signs of COPD or something else. But the hallmark of consolidation pneumonia on an X-ray is is um, radio lucency, uh, sorry, radio opacity, uh, lucency that, that sticks out, um, that's um, fluffy margins. It's not typically well-defined, although it can be if it's on a fissure, um, but it, the, the, the hallmark is air bronchograms. Mm. And uh, I'm sure you know, Jamie, but air bronchograms is the difference between an alveolar and an interstitial process compared to the larger, medium, large airways where the air is still patent. Um, so it's a, it's a bit like, uh, if you think of the alveoli as um, little balls that can mm. be filled with fluid, mm. in pneumonia those balls get filled with fluid, but the larger airways, so the bronchi, don't, and then they stick out and you can see them like a bunch of grapes sticking through. Sure. That's the hallmark for pneumonia and consolidation really. And the other things you can see with pneumonia is like pneumonic effusion, so uh, blunting of those margins with a meniscus that develops in an irradiable recency, um, and uh, an empyema harder to distinguish from an x-ray mm. generally much easier with a ultrasound scan uh, and so other things you, you talked about shortness of breath so somebody coming in with copd um, the, the hallmark features on an x-ray would be um, hyper expansion so you see these patients with big barrel chests because they're air trapping their increased residual volume and they'll have a, a much greater field of view than you'd expect so often more than nine uh, posterior ribs visible um, flattening of those ribs is quite is quite um, uh, obvious as well, and also flattening of their diaphragms. And that's just because we've got such amount of air within their emphysematous lungs. Uh, and the other thing you can see is quite coarse bronchovascular markings, so they get they get some scarring of those lung tissues. And mm. You can see those. Looks a lot like atelectasis. Less experienced people think it might be infection. We get a proportion of people who get treated as pneumonia. Probably it's just their chronic lung disease. There's another argument to be had whether that's the right thing to do or not. Um, but then also, um, the one thing in emphysema especially is, is not to mistake a large bullet for a pneumothorax. Yeah. Um, so you'll have seen that in ED. Absolutely, you know, you've yeah. Got, you've got the old old boy, smokes 60 a day still, has done for years and years, comes in more short of breath, he's got uh, hyper-resonant lung fields, reduced air entry on auscultation, and you get the x-ray and there's this radio... Uh, a passage at the, to uh, the top hand you know, usually superior and everyone's sort of thinking you know, is this a pneumothorax is this a bullet and the safest thing to do if there's no definite compromise is if you're around and you've got ultrasound skills stick an ultrasound on you can determine whether it's pneumothorax often what we do is get them a CT mm. which gives us a bit more information if you've got the time to do that and I've seen a couple of times where drones have been put into bullet you know mm. in the middle of the night when people are worried when maybe mm. with the fullness of time retrospectoscope again taking your time and a bit longer to look at those would be better. Um, and so other chronic lung disease, bronchiectasis is one. Um, you can often see features similar to COPD on the x-ray. They're not normally as hyper-expanded, but you often get the coarse bronchovascular markings. And then there's often uh, signs of previous scarring, previous infections, so atelectasis, air bronchograms. Um, two things to look out for in bronchiectasis patients, so central access lines, 
they're often a hallmark. So if you've got some short of breath recurrent infections, you know, especially for your OSCEs, they've got a central line in or they've got a Hickman line, gives you a good clue. Um, and if they've also got uh, evidence of lobectomies, so one of the old treatments for recurrent uh, atypical infections in bronchiectasis was to have just the segment of lung taken away. So they may have a missing rib or mm. uh, be a, a slightly smaller lung field than you'd expect, and that might be a sign along with other things of bronchiectasis. Um, Probably one of the things you see most commonly day to day is heart failure. Patients yeah, sadly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very common reason for presentation. And the X-ray for that is uh, when it's obvious, it's very obvious, <laughs> uh, but it can be subtle as well. Um, so there's you know the, the, the features of pulmonary congestion, so interstitial shadows bilaterally, you know, back back wing distribution, um, curly B lines, which are your peripheral sh small lines that show interstitial fluids. Um, fluid within your horizontal fissure on the on the right hand side, and then bilateral effusions in your big, you know, heart that's big not heart, really working yeah. properly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's heart failure really, um, mm. which can be due to lots of different reasons, as you know, talk about. And I suppose the other thing for me really is um, for the students especially is uh, interstitial lung disease, so things like pulmonary fibrosis, and that gives you a really nice reticular nodular pattern. Tends to be predominant to one region in most people, so either lower lobe, upper lobe, depending on the, the etiology. Uh, but the real thing with that is, uh, one of my, I remember one of the guys at med school telling me this, is if you get your grand net curtains, mm. or the doily that she normally has on her table, if you hold that up in front of the x-ray and it looks roughly the same, that's, you know, that's, that's fibrosis for you, you know. That's what it looks like, that reticular nodular pattern. To bring some net curtains. Yeah, 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 you can show people what it looks like, yeah. Good. Um, and then uh, the, the other things that we look at, the pleural effusions we talked about, yeah. so um, blunting of the, uh, the margins or a meniscus that you can see. Yeah. And important with that to look at the relationship with the mediastinum to yeah. the, the pathology, whether it's pulled towards, pushed away. Uh, and the same with the pneumothorax, so uh, uh, radio opacity that's got lack, lack of lung markings. Uh, and, and there we go. So I think that's everything for me. I don't know if there's anything else. Excellent, yeah. So um, another thing, um, it's just a, a practice I've got into um, yeah. is if I'm looking at a chest x-ray, because as you said, it's all computer. I mean, yeah. We use PACS here at yeah. this trust. Um, I mean, most places will be using a computer um, program. Yeah. Um, is to see if they've had a previous x-ray to split the screen to make sure you're seeing the right one, as you've yeah. said. Yeah. Um, but compare today's to previous. Because yeah. like you said, sometimes with these, it is a bit difficult. What is that? What is, what, I mean, but actually, if you've seen the, the previous for that patient, yeah. which very often is reported as well. Yes. Uh, which is very helpful, um, but then that sort of shows you what's new. How has it changed? And I find that very useful. You yeah. know, patients with heart failure who are known to have heart failure. Well, yeah, but today's worse. You know. Yeah, De definitely, uh, definitely a top tip. You know, it's one of the things we do uh, on a day in day out basis. We will get the X ray for the patients with suspected pneumonia. We'll compare them to the one they had a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, and actually, it's probably the most useful thing to do in terms of comparing pathology and. Has this progressed? Oh, actually, that nodule's been there for 10 years. We don't need to worry about it. Or, no, this effusion's new. We need to do some more tests for it. So, yeah, no, definitely a, a really key area to concentrate on. I think um, for students as well, in, a, in an OSCE environment as well, if you are, you know, is to, you know, the, the top students to think about that next step. So, if you are seeing a suspicious mass on a chest X-ray, to think that, you know, C CT would be a next yeah. stage, uh, yeah. potentially staging CT, yeah. to think that if there is a, a pneumonia there, or is it an effusion, to say that you would do a check X-ray after antibiotics to make sure yeah. that there isn't something more sinister going on.
Yeah, yeah and that's really important. So the, the, the guys, when they're doing your OSCEs, they want to know that you're safe and competent for the thing they're assessing you for. But mm. they, there will be extra marks available for most of the stations for the, just thinking be outside the box and saying, you know, this is what I found now. This is how we're going to treat it, and this is how I want to follow it up. And, and that safety netting and ensuring that the patient's followed is really important across all of the stations you'll do within your OSCE, but especially, you know, x-rays like you've said. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Harry. You're welcome. Um, we're going to put a, a PDF document on the website as well that goes through all of this along with some um, um, pictures as well to illustrate yeah. our point, because I think, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a visual uh, thing. Uh, thank you so much, Harry. You're welcome. And uh, thank you very much. Bye, everyone. That was the Take Orally Chest X-Ray Interpretation Podcast. Be sure to check out www.takeorally.com. You can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter. For more information on research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.